Hello, Longview Point. If you will, take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, we're going to look at verse 14 tonight. I'm glad that we get to continue to have these times together and looking forward to seeing the students tonight as well. We are going to start a new series for the rest of the summer. We're going to be looking at a series that I've entitled The Essentials. And these are the doctrines of the faith that are non-negotiables. So many times in ministry, we have people who come to us and they, they will ask us questions about all these different beliefs. Or they will ask us questions about or tell us that, that everyone who claims to be a Christian is, is going to heaven. And this is our opportunity to, to finish out the summer and to look at the, the doctrines of the faith that we cannot take out. These are the core beliefs. These are what it means to be a Christian. And some of these topics are going to require us to really put on our thinking caps. They're going to require us to, to process and to, to think about God in ways that we haven't done before and, and ways that we've often taken for granted. But we're going to do that because I, I've told you this before. This is true for the students. This is true for our adults. If we expect students to learn trigonometry, then we can expect our students to be grounded in theology. And so we want to make sure that we have a good understanding of these core doctrines, that they are not uh, just out there somewhere, or they're not just empty words that we don't know what they mean, but these are, are truths that are deep within our heart and impacting the way that we live our lives. I want to start with the verse, and then I'll explain what we're going to talk about today. Our verse is this, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, and it says this. This is the last verse of 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Can you guess what we're going to be talking about tonight? It is actually a discussion of a word that is not in the Bible. Nowhere in all of Scripture do we find the word that we use to define this, but we see it here in many other places throughout Scripture, just a picture of, of who God is, and, and that word is the Trinity. The Trinity. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Kevin DeYoung says that the doctrine of the Trinity is the most important Christian doctrine that most people never think about. Like I said, we just take this for granted. It's a word that we know, we profess that we believe it. But what does that mean? Honestly, the early church was constantly attacked and having to define it and having to, to really put it into words of what it means to believe that God is one and yet he's three persons. This is the way the New City Catechism puts it. The New City Catechism says the Trinity is that there are three persons in the one true and living God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are in the same in substance, equal in power and glory. But before we get into the catechisms and breaking that down and, and what that means in and of itself, it's so important for us to look at where we see this in Scripture. If Trinity is not there, Trinity actually was a word that didn't come about till Tertullian, the uh, great theologian of the second century that I know all of you know so much about. But Tertullian is the one that came up with the word Trinity. So where do we find it in Scripture? The first place that we see a, a slight glimpse of it is actually Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it talks about let us. There's a plural there, a plurality. Let us make God, make man in our image. 
Do you hear that, that there's more to, to God than that? But yet they're not going to go against Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, which talks about there being one God. The, the Jewish faith and the Christian faith has never strayed from the fact that they are monotheistic. There is one God. He is the one true living God. You see glimpses of it in the Psalms when it talks about the word uh, lasting for eternity. You see the same thing in Isaiah. You see mentions throughout the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit in people and coming on people. But we have the privilege of looking at the New Testament and seeing it just so crystal clear throughout the whole New Testament. It starts in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. There you have the baptism of Jesus. And the baptism of Jesus, let me flip over to it here. As he is going into the water in Matthew chapter 3, it starts in verse 13. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Do you see that in that passage right there? Just the, the beautiful picture of the, the Trinity coming through. It's a triadic passage there. You see Jesus being baptized into the water. You see the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove. And then you see, you hear the Father speaking from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, there's been some heresies throughout history that have tried to say, well, God the Father then became God the Son, and now is God the Holy Spirit, and, and He's in di these different modes at different times. But that is not what we see in Scripture. We see in this passage of Scripture all three persons of the Trinity being revealed to us right there for us to see at Jesus' baptism. One of the most famous triadic verses, one of the most famous verses with the Trinity in it, takes place in Matthew chapter 28. There at the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. The name, the identity, it's singular there. It's not the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's the oneness of God in the name. And then there's the three persons of God in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's not all. We continue John 15, 26 has that same messianic, or, or not messianic, uh, missiological, the same call for us to go and do missions. And in it there, he tells us in John chapter 15, verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Father, that's Jesus talking. 
Jesus is talking about the Father sending the Spirit. We see it over and over again. We've already looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, where Paul talks about all three. We can also look at John chapter 1, where it talks about the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning, and goes on to talk about Him becoming flesh, knowing that that is Christ. We can look at Ephesians 1, one of the most incredible passages in all of Scripture. One of my favorites. And you see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit laid out throughout that chapter. You see, Scripture speaks constantly of this Trinity, even though it doesn't use the word. We can trust that that God is one and God is three. He is one essence, three persons. So that's where we see it in Scripture. What does it mean? We can break it down like this. We can break it down in in seven simple statements. Uh, So there's a lot to keep up with, but they're very, very simple as well. Statement number one, this is coming out of what we know about God as Trinity. God is one. There's only one God. Like I said, Deuteronomy 6, you see it throughout Scripture. As Jesus is even referring, there's a oneness there. God is one. There's only one God. Point number two, the Father is God. You see that just perfectly displayed throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, as Jesus is referring. I mean, Jesus prays to God the Father. As as we study his life and his walk, he's praying to the Father because he is God, right? Number three, the Son is God. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And everybody there knew at that moment that Jesus was professing deity. He was saying, I am one with the Father. I am divine. That's why they took up stones to to stone him at that point. But it wasn't the time. Number four, the Holy Spirit is God. Talks about how he proceeds from the Father here in John 15 that we looked at. But everywhere you look, the Holy Spirit is seen as God. When Ananias and Sapphira are, are lying in Acts and they are confronted on that lie, they are told that they have lied to the Holy Spirit. And by so lying to them, or by so lying to the Holy Spirit, they are lying to God. You see, throughout Scripture, we see. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. Jesus the Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But we also see this. The Father is not the Son. They are distinct. They have different roles. We relate to them differently. The Father is not the Son. That's number five. The Son is not the Spirit. That is number six. The Son is sending the Spirit, but He is not the Spirit. And number seven, the Spirit is not the Father. One God in essence, three distinct uh, persons. Each person of the Trinity has always been God. From before time ever began, they have always been God. There's not the modes that we talked about earlier. There's not uh, any of, of losing of their powers. They have always been God. 
and the members of the Trinity. And this is so incredible to me. I, I think this is one of the most encouraging things as we talk about how this applies to our life. But the members of the Trinity have always been in perfect relationship with one another. The love that they have for one another, it, it's not that they lacked anything. That's not why they created the world. That's not why God created the world. They didn't lack anything. They had perfect love and it's out of an overflow of that love. We'll talk about that some more, but that we were created, that the world came into existence. They have always been in perfect union together among the Trinity. The Trinity has that type of love. So all this is very doctrinal. All this is very, like, we're, we're ascending from a mental standpoint. We're seeing it in Scripture. We're, we're learning who God is. But how does that affect our life where we are right here, right now? Because if doctrine is just out in space somewhere, it really doesn't do us any good. We need uh, to, to see how doctrine applies to our minds, our hearts, and our lives. And can I tell you, the Trinity does in so many incredible ways. I, I, I have been overjoyed as I've been reading um, throughout this past week of just what, uh, what the Trinity means for who we are. We get to see who God is by studying the Trinity, but it also affects us. So this is how it affects us as Christians. Number one, the Trinity demonstrates how we are saved. The Trinity demonstrates how we are saved. When we look at the cross, we should see the Trinity right there. What do I mean by that? Let me explain it just a little bit here. One, the Father loves us and sent Christ to pay the price for our sins. It is the love of the Father that, that compels uh, Christ to come, that He is sent here, right? It's that perfect love coming out. Then the Son takes on human flesh and dies on the cross for our sins. His obedience, his perfect life is, is what is done. He's given us his righteousness instead of our filthiness. None of us deserve that. But he is satisfying the, the holiness of God. He's satisfying the wrath of God. He's satisfying the, the need that we have in our lives that we cannot meet. That is through the Son. But then the Spirit is involved in our salvation as well. Because the Spirit comes and the Spirit dwells within us. And He gives us eternal life and He reveals the glories of Christ to us. He draws us to Christ and to, to realize our need for His, uh, for His saving sacrifice and, uh, and the love that the Father has for us and uh, brings us in and seals us and adopts us. Uh, the Father adopts us as His children through the Holy Spirit. And so throughout Scripture and throughout uh, our study of the Trinity, we should be greatly encouraged that God is triune, that He is three in one because He pays the price for our sins in a way that only a, a God of Trinity can do. The Father's love, the Son's sacrifice, the Spirit sealing us and affirming us. What a beautiful picture of who God is that we worship, that He is willing to, to go to that extent to save us from the penalty of our sins. 
I, I say this every week, but I can't get past it. If you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never asked the Heavenly Father to be your Heavenly Father, to adopt you into His family, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, if the Holy Spirit has never come to live inside of you, take care of that right now. I plead that with you. Don't let another day go by without having Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the greatest decision you can make in your life because He alone is worthy of our lives. Everything else is worthless. So realize that the Trinity demonstrates how we are saved. But the Trinity also demonstrates how we are to pray. Jesus in His model prayer always prays our Father, right? And so that's the way that we get to pray as followers of Christ. We get to come before Him, calling Him our Father, but we do that through Christ our mediator. As you look over at 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 5 and 6, it says this, For there is one God, see there's the, the oneness of God again, and there is one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You see, there is one God and there's one mediator. And that mediator is Christ. And so when we pray, when we get the opportunity to come before the throne of our heavenly king and bow before him in his presence, we know that he is our heavenly father. We can come to at any time, but we get to go before his throne because of the beauty of the sacrifice of Christ. He is our mediator sitting at the right hand of the father, interceding on our behalf, the great high priest for us. And we get to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, our prayers are Trinitarian. Our prayers include all parts of the Trinity. When we are praying, we pray in the Spirit through the sacrifice of Christ to our Heavenly Father. All three are involved. The, the three persons of the Trinity are engaged in our prayer lives. And so think through that as we pray, the, the glory of, of how that works, that we need each of the persons of the Trinity as we come to the Father. The third thing I would say about how the Trinity affects our life is the Trinity helps us to know God and affects our wonder of Him. He's not just a, a solitary God that has been on his own for, for anything. No, the, the three persons of the, the Trinity are working together. They each have distinct roles. They each have things that they do in our lives, in the world that they've created. And they are working in perfect unity. They are working together with, with no jealousy, no disruption, no conflict at all. The three are one. They are working in perfect harmony together, unity and harmony. And that should be what marks our life as well, that we are seeking to, to live unified and that we are sent out. Just as the Father sends out the Son and uh, allows the Holy Spirit to move, we need to be obedient to where the Father is sending us out and working for His purposes as well in perfect unity with the triune God.
But here's the last thing, and quite possibly the most beautiful thing. I mentioned it just briefly earlier, but the Trinity helps us to understand that God is love. God is love. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says this, as you look at John chapter 17, verses 23 through 26, it says this, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Throughout that passage, you see it multiple times. The love that you have, that you've loved me, Jesus talking to the Father. There has always been this perfect love that has taken place within the Trinity. It has been from eternity. It is not something new. It is not something that's just created. But yet there is an overflow of God's love but from within the Trinity that overflows into our lives as well, that we can know that perfect and eternal love. Think through this logically with me. If, if God was not triune, if he was not the Trinity that we're talking about here, and we just had this one singular God, generic God that, that is there, if that is all that existed from all of eternity past, then, then there would be no righteous understanding of what love is. Because love would not have even come into existence until he created. And a lot of the gods that, that are from other religions and other like even the Babylonian gods, they, Marduk was the god there, and he created people to be his slaves. Like there, it wasn't a loving thing that happened there. And so there, there's not a, a good understanding of love if the only thing that exists is one. But because of the Trinity, because of God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is perfect in His love. And His perfection in that love has been from all the way of eternity past, and it will continue all the way to eternity future. Because that is who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet, in His great love, He created mankind. In His great love, He restored mankind that anybody who confesses Him as Savior and Lord can be saved and be in His love and in His presence forever. And as I read that, as I studied that, as I looked through that in so many different ways of looking at the Trinity over this past week, my heart was filled with great joy because we have a God who loves us more than we could ever love anything else. That it is His perfect love, His grace, that we have grace, that we have mercy, that we have all these things that we don't deserve. But yet, He in His goodness pours out on our lives. 
the Trinity is such an incredible doctrine that we so often take for granted. We, we say we know Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but what an opportunity to, to see that the Trinity is something that we need to take to heart. That it should no longer be, as, as Kevin DeYoung said, the most important Christian doctrine that most people never think about. But I hope that because of our time together tonight that you think about the Trinity even more. When you pray, when you think about the cross, when you think about God's love, that the Trinity will be at the center of all that you think, say, and do. So here's my point for tonight. God is three persons in one essence. If we are to worship the God of the Bible, we should see the beauty of the Trinity and seek to know Him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. With such a, a deep topic, I definitely want to give you a chance to discuss it uh, among your family members that you are watching it with. And so I have three questions for you tonight. Why is it important to know that there is only one God and three persons, each fully God? Why, what, you know, we talked about some of the ways it impacts us. What, what are some other things that we can think through of the Trinity and, and why it's important in that way? Number two, why is it not surprising that we cannot fully grasp the Trinity? One of the books that I read said that to understand the Trinity would be to try to catch the ocean in a nutshell. Uh, all we got was uh, even part of a nutshell tonight, but I hope that you realize uh, the magnitude of what all the Trinity is because the, it's the magnitude of who God is. And so um, why is it not surprising that we cannot fully grasp it? And number three, did something tonight in our Bible study stand out to you about the way that we can relate to the Trinity? What was it about the Trinity that really stood out to you tonight? So I hope this has been encouraging. I hope that it helps you to get a glimpse of who God is. And I hope that as you read God's word, as you pray to him, as you go through these next few days, you'll think about the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all God in essence, but three persons. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we get to pray that we get to come before your throne because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and that your Holy Spirit is, inner, is giving us the power to do that, that you are such an amazing and good God, that your love is poured out on our lives and that our lives are forever changed because of, of who you are. So Father, help us to submit to you. Help us to, to realize that, that you are ruling and reigning and Lord, that, that we should trust you and follow after you. Lord, I pray for heart change tonight. That, that as we hear of who you are, that we will worship you. And forever be different because of the time that we spent in your word. Lord, you are so good and worthy of our praise. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.